very excited to be with you today. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I uh, just want to say welcome, especially if you're here and you're a guest. Maybe you're just checking this whole church thing out, God thing out. We're just so glad that you're with us today. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And you'll see we are continuing a series called March Wellness. And, and it's just kind of an interesting journey that we're on. So many of you, in fact, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you have filled out commitments, 30-day commitments that are on the wall in the hallway. You can check those out on the way out. But, but just saying, hey, I want to be a good steward of, of the, the human resource that God has given to me. And that's the challenge, that's the call, that's the command of God that we would steward this vehicle, our, our body and our mind and our, our heart well so that he could receive glory and honor. And, and of course we recognize that there's an abundance there, there's, a, there's an additional level of, of energy and vitality that Jesus invites us into, there's an abundance in this life, and then of course we believe that after this life is over, there's an eternity that he invites us into as well. So. So that's kind of what it looks like for us. We want to march well uh, with the time that we have stewarding our bodies well. And over like, I see this in you. So many of you are doing this. In fact, I saw this meme online and it reminded me of you. Bro, have you been working out? And... Uh, that's how many of you look. We've heard a lot of great res uh, stories about people responding well to the March Wellness Challenge. In fact, Dennis lost about 40 pounds. He, he cut out uh, hamburgers and um, he cut out pizza. He started taking walks every day. He's now 40 pounds lighter. I think we have a before and after picture of Dennis. <laughs> That's a true story that was going around uh, this week online. Uh, but we're really, really excited about just kind of the, the, the positive and the, the, the way in which God is meeting us as we want to steward not just our souls, right? We always talk about our soul in church. We, we want to recognize that, that it's, it's not like separate things. It's not like your soul is one thing and your mind is one thing and your body is one thing. No, no, you are all of you created in the image of God, the whole, the totality. And so we're to steward that well in such a way that God receives his glory. And if you missed last week's message, I really want to challenge you to, to go online and check it out. Because what, what we did is we just focused on Jesus. And we talked about how it is that, that Jesus stewarded himself. We talked about how Jesus brought wellness and how Jesus modeled wellness. And we looked at his lifestyle, the, the way in which he grew up. To age 30, he was the one who was working in his father's carpentry shop. And so he was the one who was doing construction and building and, and every, every board that needed cut, he cut it by hand. This is pre-skill saw, pre-nail gun days. And, and you know, he's hammering everything, nailing everything, holding everything up, hauling everything. So he utilized his muscles well. Then we talked about his ministry. It was a mobile ministry. He's walking everywhere. And so there was this cardiovascular strength as well. Now, what we want to do is we want to focus on Jesus, and we want to take a look at what was his relationship to food. And some of you, are, I, I, I promise you, this is going to be a completely unique message for you. You've never heard this talked about in church before. I've been in ministry for a couple of decades. I've never heard this topic covered in church, but I want to tell you, this is a spiritual topic. That, that there was this relationship that Jesus and his disciples had to food, and it, it's something that he modeled for us that we can learn from. And so you just, you recognize this. Now, in his day, in the first century culture, there was a, a group of people that didn't have a good relationship with food. And, 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 and Jesus called them out a little bit, and it was, it was the folks in Jesus' day, the only folks who were overweight were the ones who were wealthy, could afford to be overweight. They were, they were the only ones who could afford a chariot to drive around in. They were the only ones who could afford, uh, all, you know, kind of buffets and, and all kinds of additional foods and big portions and all that stuff. And so, so Jesus, he was, he was talking in a day when, when there's only a small percentage of the population was overweight. And, and it was specifically people who wanted to show the, the wealth that they had. They wanted to display it. And one of the ways it was displayed was through being overweight. Now, today in American culture, 
it is almost the opposite. Almost, not totally, but it's almost the opposite. Because in American culture today, it's the junk food that's really cheap and prevalent. Uh, organic food is really expensive, uh, uh, fresh food. Most people don't work off calories in their employment, and most consider the time to work out uh, a luxury. And so you're talking about a, a culture now in which the very best trainers and the healthiest foods, th those are seemingly reserved for the people with means. And by contrast, in America today, about 68% of us are overweight and 33% of us are wrestling with obesity. And where this really hits home is with our children. 17% of our children under the age of 12 are struggling with obesity. And this creates problems. I, I read a story about an 11-year-old boy and he's obese and he's really wrestling with some health issues. Well, they took a look at his liver and they discovered that he had cirrhosis of the liver, that his liver was exactly the same as a 65-year-old alcoholic's. And this is causing all kinds of problems in terms of how this boy is going to live and thrive. And it's causing all kinds of, of tension now in the home with the parents and, and how they are parenting their son and what they're providing for him to eat. And it's causing all kinds of problems with the health industry in America today. And listen, I'm not trying to bring judgment on any of this. I just want to say this is not God's best. So if we're going to shoot for God's best, we need to recognize what's not God's best. And, and if, if this was the culture that Jesus was living in, if this, these were the days in which he was walking around and preaching, then I have to argue that he would have addressed it. And he would have addressed it clearly because this is a stewardship issue. It's an issue of how we are stewarding our whole being, created in the image of God, and how we're letting God receive his glory from the way we are stewarding. And so the, the relationship to food that we have, this would have been something that he would have covered. So food, I'm just gonna tell you a line. You might wanna write this down. This is the, basically the whole thing here. If we can get our minds here, we've got the whole thing. And that is Jesus and his disciples ate much healthier than I do. Okay, that's it, just, just that. If we get that, then, then suddenly, you know, we kind of get into what, what it looks like to look at Jesus as the one that we want to follow after. The entire culture that Jesus was in ate healthier than we do. None of their food was processed. None of it had added trans fats or hormones or pesticides. And it's not that everything they had in the first century was healthy. I'm not trying to make it that idyllic, right? They had sugars, they had alcohol, etc. But what they did have in quantities so great compared to us that it's hard for us to get our minds around is they had simplicity. They had simple food. Okay. And so I, I just want you to process that. There was this relationship that Jesus had to food, his disciples had to food. They, they were on a three-year road trip where they camped out all the time. They shared who knows how many meals together in that time. So there was this relationship that they had to food, but it was a very simple one. And this is just one snapshot here in John 21. This is after the resurrection. It says, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Just, just simple ingredients here. Now, come have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one, eat like Jesus, simple. Just simple. We want to recognize what it was that, that Jesus and his disciples consumed. They, they, they had fresh meats and fish, vegetables and grain. Every single one of us would be in far better shape right now if we simply walked in the footsteps of Jesus when it came to steward our, stewarding our bodies in terms of the nutrition that he enjoyed. So words you might want to write down are like fresh, and whole, 
And you're talking about meats, lamb, beef, chicken, no bacon. I'm sorry. You're like, what? No bacon? No. There better be bacon in heaven, right? Like, that's what you're thinking. Uh, no bacon. It was, a, it was a religious conviction that the, the Jews had, so none of that. But they did have fruit. They had fish. They had vegetable. They had grain. And the word that I would have you write down on the margin is the word real. It was real food. What am I saying? Am I saying, Pastor Mike, are you saying that the food that I eat is not real, that it's fake? Yes. It's exactly what I'm saying. We eat a lot of fake food. In fact, so much so that I want you to imagine Jesus with his foresight, with, it, with the knowledge that he had being God in the flesh. Could you imagine him trying to tell his disciples about the kinds of food that we would consume one day? Can you imagine him saying, guys, you're not going to believe this, but, but there's going to be a day when they take a potato and, and they cut it up really, really thinly and then they cook it, like they submerge it in fat, and, and they cook it in that fat for uh, uh, so long that any nutrition that the father put into that potato flees. And, and, and they're, they're gonna pull that potato out and it'll just be crispy and, and no nutrition. It'll actually be bad for them and they will eat that by the truckloads, right? And the disciples would be like, yeah, you're putting me on, man. No way. No, no, no. It gets worse. <laughs> you know, hormones are what make us grow, right? So there's going to be a day when they take hormones from other animals. They might maybe even produce these hormones like in laboratories, and they inject them into their animals so they grow bigger, faster, stronger in, in a short amount of time. And then they will consume those animals and, and those hormones in such quantity that the puberty age, like, you know how you, it's like 15 right now, but, but it'll be driven, there'll be five-year-olds with hair under their arms, like, and, and the disciples, oh, come on, you were, I believe everything that you tell me, but this is really hard to stomach, Jesus, you know, it gets worse. There are chemicals that they will make, they, literally, they're poisons, and they will spray these poisons. They will, you don't know what airplanes are, but there'll be airplanes that, that come down and drop poison on all of the crops that they grow. And those poisons then will, they, they will be ingested and they, it'll be toxic to be, it'll, it'll mess up everything about their body chemistry. And the disciples are like, look, I know you're gonna be raised from the dead, but I can't believe this. I mean, this is just crazy talk kind of a deal, and yet this is the reality that we live in today. That, that is absolutely the truth about so much of what we consume. Okay, so let me give you some general broad stroke principles, and again, one-on-one, -on -one, we can have good discussion and dialogue about all of these things, but these are just some general uh, broad stroke kinds of principles as to how we can approach food and, and, and see that we're, we're walking a road of seeking great stewardship over our physical bodies. We're talking about nutrition. We're talking about a good relationship to food. A couple of things here. The first is protein up. In other words, in general, protein is a good choice. You're talking about chicken and peanuts and cashews, fish, things minimally modified in contrast, right, to sugars, alcohols, and carbs in general. In fact, you want to think about it in a way that carbs are less about health and more about taste. Right? But protein is going to provide some nutrition and nourishment for our muscles and energy, etc. So for those of you who are walking a road of March well and you're working out, you're being active, one, one kind of, a, I think, a really good thing to do is after a workout or a walk, maybe have a hard-boiled egg or a little cheese or something like that, but you want to put some protein back into your system when your body's burning because you want to keep that metabolism burning well. You want, you want your body to be functioning well. So protein is a good step for that. Next truth, again, broad strokes. Next truth, hydrate well. Hydrate well. So drink a lot of water, okay? Some of you are like, wow, that doesn't sound like hydration, but okay, you know, drink a lot, pastor says. No, water. 
and, 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 and choose water willingly over all of other kinds of options that we have, you know, that, that we think sometimes, oh, water's so lame in comparison to my soda, uh, in comparison to, you know, a beer or a glass of wine. Or, uh, it's just boring. But what I would have you do, I was with a team in Oklahoma this week, and I just want to remind you that the water we have in the Northwest is delicious. It is, all you have to do, turn on the tap. It's right there. It's just so good. It, it's just, you don't even know it. If you grew up in Seattle, you don't even know it. I just want to say, if you visit California, you'll know it. You can smell the water in other places. That's what I'm trying to say. But, I, but even more than just that, right, just kind of comparing to different regions in America, I want you to remember that there are 783 million people alive today who have no access to clean drinking water. And so it's, it's one of those things where when you do turn on the tap and you do fill up a glass, th- th- there can be great thankfulness in our hearts. Lord, we, we are thankful that you have given us this privilege this honor, and it, and it actually is good for us. Hydration is a good choice for stewardship. When we lack water, we flirt with dehydration, we get tired, our brain doesn't function properly, we get headaches, migraines can get kicked in, all kinds of things. Now, it might help you to have a specific water bottle that you just keep with you every day, fill up, you drink. A good rule of thumb is you take your weight and then divide it in half and that's how many ounces of water you should be drinking a day. So a 200-pound man should be consuming about 100 ounces of water a day. Just do the math real quick. Is anybody here adequately hydrated? Probably two, three? Good for you. We all need some work on this. So, so a hydrate, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And again, what we're focusing on is the, the stewardship of our physical being. But what Jesus reminds us of is the need for us to be spiritually hydrated as well. This is a thirst that only he can quench. That's why I started by saying it's only in him that our hope resides. But look what Jesus says, John 4. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the spiritual hydration. You can't have one without the other. Right? We want to hydrate physically, but then that reminds us that we are hydrated in him. It's not just for this lifetime, it's for the next. Next fill in, trim sugar intake. Trim our sugar intake. I was going to say avoid sugar, and then I realized that's ridiculous. None of us would do it. So let's just trim it. And I found, a, I found a quote that just blew me away this week. It just, it, I just, it's hard for me to get my mind around it, so I just want to read this to you. It's from the Daniel Plan. It says, hunter-gatherer populations consumed about 22 teaspoons of sugar a year. Now the average American consumes 22 to 30 teaspoons of sugar every single day. In 1800, the average person consumed five pounds per year. Now we average 152 pounds per year. Our bodies are not designed to handle that amount of sugar. Paracelsus, the ancient Greek physician, said, the dose makes the poison. At the current dose, sugar is poison. I mean, that that is so challenging and convicting. And then you realize that refined or processed white foods cause our bodies to spike exactly like sugar. So white flour, white rice, and white pasta. And you realize that, oh, there are so many hidden ways that sugar comes into our diet, right? It's in, it's in all kinds of foods that you never thought sugar was in, but, it, but they just add it in to help the flavor. And, and every condiment we use, there's sugar added. It's just kind of, it's just like this hidden thing that we're taking in all the time. And so when I say trim our sugar intake... If some of you decide today that you're just going to go cold turkey, you're just going to cut sugar out of your life, then I just want to warn you that what you'll discover immediately is that you're going to go through the withdrawal symptoms of somebody who's addicted to a substance. There's no shame in this statement. It's just true. 
We, we, have, we have silently and unconsciously consumed so much sugar in our normal diets that if we try to cut it out, we'll go through a form of withdrawal. You'll find the cravings that you have for certain foods are so intense that willpower alone won't be enough. And so friends, we're gonna talk about this more next week because it actually is a bigger conversation. But that's why I would encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery, which meets on Tuesday nights. That you would recognize that we need brothers and sisters in our life to help support us and to help. If we're going to make decisions that we're going to be good stewards, we need good friends, good support uh, around us to help us and enable us to accomplish what it is that we feel God's calling us to do. So I would encourage you, view sugar as an occasional treat, not as a daily requirement. And then remember this. Remember that the, some of you, you're going to just hate me for this. Remember that the fake sugars are just as bad as the real sugar, but in a different way. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I know. That just totally, you're like, oh, I don't have sugar. I have Diet Coke. Oh, Yeah. Pastor Mike just knocked it out of your hand. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, here's the deal. Are we talking about things that you, that, that like, it just is offensive to God if you have sugar or if you have a Coke or whatever? No, no, I want you to read this verse from the Apostle Paul. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So again, we recognize that there should be freedom under the Lord, right? As we walk with Jesus, there's all this kinds of freedom, but yet we have to recognize that not everything we're doing is building us up. Not everything that we're currently doing is, is taking us down the road of being a good steward, okay? And so one of the examples I want to point to in this is a guy, many of you may be already familiar with him. He, he, his name is Jack LaLanne. And he was a pioneer of wellness. He's, he's older and actually he's passed away now. But Jack LaLanne, he was, he was such on the forefront of everything that we now know as whole body wellness. Here's a guy, his, like his whole life, he worked out two hours a day in the morning. He was a big fan of, of fresh food, whole food, raw fruits and vegetables. Um, he, he was literally like he was just a physical specimen. People accused him of juicing his whole life. And, and actually, he really admitted that he did juice. It was like orange juice and apple juice and carrot juice. And, and uh, he would put all these vegetables in a juicer and he would just, he would just drink his nutrition um, and, and, and just this incredible lifestyle that he lived. He was healthy and strong into his old age. In fact, the last two-hour workout that he did was one day before he passed away on his 90, in his 96th year. 96 years old, still working out two hours a day. And there's a couple of quotes from him, and I just want to share them because I, I was really inspired by this guy. He says this, dying is easy. Living is a pain in the butt. It's like an athletic event. You've got to train for it. You've got to eat right. You've got to exercise. Your health account, your bank account, they're the same thing. The more you put in, the more you can take out. Exercise is king. Nutrition is queen. Together, you have a kingdom. Isn't that cool? That's great inspiration. I also found this quote, and I just thought this was really cool. It, when asked about sex, Lelaine had a standard joke, saying that despite their advanced age, he and his wife still made love almost every night, almost on Monday, almost on Tuesday, almost on Wednesday. <laughs> it doesn't fit in the message, but I just thought it was really funny. All right, so, so trim the sugar. We're going after real foods, protein, uh, hydration. Next feeling, skip the late night snack. Oh, I hate this point. I am preaching to myself right now. In fact, we know this is a long sermon, a lot of stuff to include. I almost cut this point out because I hate it. Uh, this is, this is where I wrestle because I, I just have this deal where it's like kind of the reward at the end of a good day and you just sit on the couch and you want to watch a show with, with your spouse and you just want it, you want, there's just something you want. It. But listen, you might as well take that piece of pizza and tape it to your love handle. 
Because that's about what's happening. It's just sitting in you. And so just recognize this. Skip the late night snack. This will be really, really good for you. And again, in order to uh, overcome this, I talked to many after the first service. They, they confess to me many things. But um, I, I struggle with this. Many people do. Look, this requires what the Bible calls self-control. And self-control, according to Galatians chapter 5, this is a fruit of God's spirit in us. So again, we talk about this as a discipleship reality that the more of God's spirit is in us, the more we will be able to take our our cravings, our desires, and and really say, no, no, but I want to be under the spirit's control. I want to have self-control in these areas. And then if you just recognize, you know what, I really don't have self-control Thank God for Shark Tank. There's an invention for you. It's called the the kitchen safe. And Pastor Pat uses this all the time, he says. But you can just put whatever you just don't want to consume. You you program it. It locks at 8 o'clock. It'll open up at 6 a.m. the next morning. And uh, it'll help you. Of course, you can always take the safe and break it open. (laughs) Then you've got a problem. Next fill-in, eat before you get hungry. Eat before you get hungry. Three good meals, graze in between with healthy snacks. You're also drinking a ton of water. That helps with your hunger. Eating almonds, cheese, fruits, bananas. The key is don't let yourself get ravenous because when you're ravenous, you make all kinds of bad choices. If you've ever been starving to death and you go grocery shopping, you know exactly what I mean. Because then you, 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 know, you get home, you unpack everything, you have a meal, and then you're looking in your cupboard, you're like, what was I thinking for this? You know what? I can't believe I bought the jumbo Captain Crunch. You know, like, what? So, so yeah, don't let yourself get ravenous, but instead kind of head it off by eating good meals and then snacking in a healthy way. That keeps your metabolism up. Your body is burning uh, uh, all that the nutrition well. Next feeling, eat when you get hungry, too. So when you're hungry... Uh, just make a choice. Now, the challenge here is uh, something you could write down. It's just portion control. And so, you know, there are all kinds of uh, programs out there that you can research. You can even just go online and Google, what's a, good, what's a good portion for this? What's a good portion for that? And I'm sure people that are weighing this, they'll tell you. My challenge is, is more general in a sense that I would just challenge us to recognize that, that our plates can be full but not overfull. That the goal should be when we're done with the meal, we are not overfilled and lethargic, right? That we're not just, you know, comatose after a a massive meal, but rather we've taken care of portion, we've eaten till we're full, and then we push away. And now we have higher levels of energy. We have higher levels of of vibrancy, that there's a, a higher way of relationship that we can engage with our family and friends. And ultimately, what's it for? It's so that there can be a higher level of responsiveness to the call of Jesus on our lives, right? See, food is designed to actually nourish our bodies so that we have the energy and the stamina we need to do what God's calling us to do. That's what it's all for, right? But so often, we pray before our meals, and we say, God, would you please bless this food to our body? And then we look at the meal, and we're like, God, you better bless it, because it's a horrible meal. (laughs) And so the idea is that we want to steward well, make good choices, so that the food itself is God's blessing to nourish us, so that we can live the life he's calling us to live, right? Why? Here's the why. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please him in every way. See, some of you are pleasing God mightily in a few ways, but maybe this way, you're not pleasing him. So pleasing him every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, what? With all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Jesus has qualified us already. That's his love. That's, that's his work on the cross. But now we want to steward ourselves well so that we can tap into his power. We can have the endurance. We can have the patience so that we can give him the glory that we want to give him. Next fill in, measure what matters. So many of us get caught up in measuring things that really don't matter. Measure calories or, or, or we measure what the scale says. 
I would, I would advise you away from those things. I would encourage you to measure what matters. Maybe, maybe you want to measure your, uh, you know, your waist size, maybe. But what's better than that? It's better than that to measure your energy level. It's better than that to measure how you feel in your own skin. It's better to measure how much you're beginning to enjoy exercise, how much your energy level is increasing, how much you're making progress. You might want to keep a journal. Measure your joy level as it goes up and up and up, knowing that you're stewarding your whole being well before the Lord. And this is where I'd love to have interaction with you. So many of you have already started to post on our hashtag MarchWell. Some of you have hit me on Facebook. You're writing in on your cards. We'd love to hear the stories of how God is interacting with your life as you're making some of these decisions. You're walking through your 30-day commitment. Again, every week we want you to hear a story and see a snapshot of what some of this stuff can look like. I've asked John to come and share with us today. Would you please welcome John as he comes? I love you, brother. It was my least favorite time of the year. No more sleepovers under the desert sky on my trampoline. No more freedom from the daily grind of school. The afternoon bike rides to Circle K for candy and soda with my brothers were slowly fading with the setting sun. The summer ending meant a lot more than some of my favorite things reaching a state of to be continued. It meant that I'd have to yet again face the cruel reality of the elementary school playground. But first, it was time for back-to-school clothes shopping. My goal was to get as many pieces as I could. I would go to the five shirts for 10 bucks kind of store and load up on graphic tees. I only had one rule. It had to be loose-fitting to hide my chest. At an age when little boys are supposed to be running around naked and unashamed, I was always clothed and full of shame. When I was in fifth grade, I had a 32-inch waist, which was the same as my dad. It's just baby fat, they would say. He'll grow out of it, were their murmurs. It's just a phase. These were some of the sound bites I heard from the grown-ups in my life. For a while, I actually believed them. But these attempts of encouragement just reminded me more that I wasn't normal. I was an outsider, I was fat, and there was no way getting around it. But boy, was I a happy fat kid. <laughs> or at least that's the role that I learned to play. People love to be around me, especially older people. My parents to this day still tell me stories of me sitting at the grown-ups table, butting in on conversations and shooting the breeze with the older folks. They understood me, and I understood them. Um, I would talk to them about my stock options and career path. No, just kidding. I didn't do that. Uh, but now, uh, looking back, I'm not really sure why I chose to befriend older people, but part of me believes that it had to do with their safety. After all, how many grown-ups do you hear telling a fifth-grade boy that he should get a bra for his boobs? No grown-ups would ever say that. But yes, that happened to me many times with my peers. Even bringing it up, I'm experiencing that feeling that comes before tears begin to form in your eyes. Not only was I told that by the kids in my elementary school, I even got a bra shoved in my backpack, which brought a, on a great deal of insecurity about my body. By the way, some kids can be really mean. Many years of teasing and low view of self caused so much damage and insecurity in my heart. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. This lasted even along my journey with Jesus. It influenced how I felt about myself and my ministry. So at the end of last summer, I hit a breaking point. I was 296 pounds, was recently diagnosed with severe central and obstructive sleep apnea, and my blood pressure was averaging about 160 over 105, all at the ripe old age of 29. I was a complete mess. I hated myself. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror anymore. No longer were extra-large clothes fitting me. I had moved on to double XL, and even some of those would not fit. The hard thing about food addiction and being a person who struggles with overeating is that it's unlike any other addiction. It's the only substance that you cannot live without. You have to learn how to manage it, which is precisely what I did on August 5th, 2014. 
For the first time, I actually invited Jesus into the wounded part of my heart and asked him for help. Up until this point, I had tried every diet, exercise, diet pills, diet drinks, everything on the market, but it never occurred to me that God wanted me to be free from this pain I had experienced for so long. I no longer wanted to be a prisoner in my body. I wanted freedom. I honestly feel like God answered my prayer that day. In Galatians 5.1, Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus has wanted me to be free of this coping relationship with food that was destroying my life. I think that God was waiting for me to bring him into my story of weight loss and stop relying on myself to win the battle. Today, seven months later, I'm still on the journey, but I've made great progress. I now weigh 238 pounds, almost 60 pounds lighter than last August. Woo! Come on. I eat really well, and my body craves healthy things and rejects unhealthy food. I'm exercising at least five days a week, CrossFit. Uh, my, my blood pressure is down, and my sleep apnea has improved dramatically, so much so that I may be able to sleep without my CPAP one day. I no longer look at food as being good or bad, but as a choice. A uh, word to my friends who struggle with an unhealthy relationship with food. I know your pain, it is real. It is a constant prison that feels like there's no freedom from. I'm so sorry for te the teasing and the negative thoughts you've had to live with for as long as you've been overweight. My encouragement for you today is to invite Jesus into your story. Invite him into the deep hurts. Invite him to replace the negative voices that have been trapped in your heart and mind for so long. He really does care, and I believe with all my heart, he's waiting for us to lean on him for everything in our lives, including our physical health. He wants us to live free. Thank you so much, Overlake. You know, I, I don't know a lot of other worship pastors who would be that open and vulnerable with the congregation and let us into the window of that kind of journey. So, John, I just want to say thank you. I'm so proud of you and so excited about the journey that you're on. Can we give him another hand? John, thank you so much. If you're filling in the blanks, the next one is Take Baby Steps. Take baby step, little tiny baby, infant baby, little, little rolling crawly steps. And, and, and the deal is because maybe for some of you, you're, you're feeling a little motivated and, and for the first time ever in your entire life, the, the only time you've ever been to church and heard a message like this that actually that there's this relationship that we have with food that God actually can be invited into and he gets glory out of and you're like, yes, I want to eat like Jesus and the disciples. I'm going to eat simple and whole and real foods and you just, you make this commitment like I'm going to do it. That's it. That's what I'm going to go after. And you keep that commitment until you leave church today and stop at a restaurant on the way home. And you open the menu and you realize, oh, you know, I don't think anything on here is Jesus approved. <laughs> and so you scrap the whole thing. And, and what I want you to see is that it's a really quick thing. There's a, a very quick kind of a thing that we can do where motivation can really quickly turn and be demotivating if we're not careful. And that's why baby steps are beautiful. Baby steps are beautiful. You, you realize that this is actually how God designed us to live and grow and explore and learn about the world and about him. All baby steps. It's all one step after another. You, you got to add before you multiply. That's a reality. And so I would just encourage you, really kind of just process with the Lord, maybe process with your spouse. What's one or two baby steps that you can begin to implement? 
One or two things that you might be able to change in order, and, and just change it so that you can bring glory to God as you steward that decision for him, right? And so just a, a quick example for me in my life, and, and again, food hasn't been really the main issue, eating at night maybe, but, but for me it's more I want to live an active life. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm continuing to, to take care of stewarding my physical body, my muscles, my energy levels so that I can be a good dad, a good husband, a good pastor for the long haul. So that's kind of been my deal. But, but, but one thing that I did, I, I heard about this sugar thing that we talked about a couple of years ago. And until then, I had been a guy that I loved coffee. I really loved sugar with a little coffee. And I would just coffee and then sugar just kind of pour. And a couple years ago, I just made a decision. I know that can't be good for me, so I just cut sugar out. Well, interesting, that baby step kind of multiplied after a while to me consuming less coffee. I still, have, I still enjoy coffee, but, it, but suddenly now that it wasn't so sweet and I wasn't getting the sugar kind of a rush, then suddenly then the coffee, I have a better relationship with that, and so my coffee intake goes down. And, and again, that's just a silly little example, but it's personal. It's, it happened for me, but maybe there's something that God wants for you, just a baby step today. And the greatest thing about a baby step is you can take that baby step and you can hit victory with it, and then you can build the next success on that victory. And so one baby step uh, begets the next step and the next step, and that's the journey of a 1,000 miles. It's one step after another. So I want to encourage you to think about baby steps. Look, the scripture says in Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and, and what will happen? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And ultimately, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Appetites are the appetites of the flesh, Right? And John was right. We've got to have a good relationship with food. We can't do without. We can't cut this thing out. So we've got to be able to bring, our, uh, bring it under the authority of the Lord. Okay. And then the next fill in here, reward yourself often. Celebrate your progress. Honor your faithfulness. Reward yourself often. Find healthy ways to cheer yourself on mentally and spiritually as well. So I don't know what that might look like for you. That if there's a, you know, a book that you want to get, buy that book. If, if, if you want to plan you know, a morning of, of, of a retreat where it's just you celebrate by being with Jesus, go on a hike or something, go to a conference, plan on signing up for the next race or the next uh, physical event. But find some things that you love to do that you feel good about doing and, and that's a, a form of rewarding you for accomplishing that baby step that, that you committed before the Lord and, and find a way to reward yourself that doesn't undo what you just accomplished, right? Yay, I don't have sugar in my coffee, so I'll eat this pie, right? Like that's not gonna work. You gotta figure out a way to reward yourself that doesn't immediately undo the success that God has brought. Now let me give you a, a proverb, a parental proverb, if you will. And you might wanna write this down. What gets celebrated gets repeated. What gets celebrated gets repeated. So when you accomplish something, when God brings a victory in this area, celebrate it, honor it, mark it, because what gets celebrated will get repeated. And then you'll be more apt to do it again. You'll be more apt to make this thing a lifestyle choice as opposed to just a 30-day choice. So what gets celebrated gets repeated. It's parental advice as well. And last fill in here, later is kind of a lie. Man, Pastor Mike got in my face three or four times today. Later is kind of a lie. Pastor, you're doing good stuff. This is all good stuff. Yeah, I agree with most of the stuff you said. Not all, most of it. But I'll tell you, I'll do this later. I'll make a change later. I'll start doing this later. And you realize it, it's a, it's a lie, isn't it? That tomorrow becomes tomorrow becomes tomorrow, that next week becomes next week becomes next week, that next month becomes next month becomes next month. And, and really later is just a way of saying no. No, I'm not going to be a good steward in this regard. And I just, I want to challenge you with this. If, if, what, if what Stearns is talking about is true, if Jesus wants you free, then he wants you free now. 
He wants us to have a relationship with food in which we are nourished by it, but not mastered by it. And so I, I, I just want to say that this is that kind of that strong, passionate challenge that, that I would encourage you to instead of later, the Bible talks all, all over the place about today. It talks about today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, it says. Today is the day that God's calling you. Today is the day of decision, right? I place before you a choice, life or death. So today, make the choice, choose life. This is all throughout scripture. And so I just want to encourage you, later's a lie. If it's important, it's important now. If Jesus wants you free, he wants you free now. And the bottom line, oh, by the way, we don't know what tomorrow brings, right? We don't even have tomorrow promise. Look what this verse says in James. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Friends, we don't even know if we have tomorrow. And so today is a day where we can say, Jesus, we want you to be honored in our choices of stewardship here. The bottom line is, it's not just a few of us that need this. It's all of us. All of us need to invite Jesus into this place, the place of our relationship with food. Because this place is a place where either we're in charge or God's in charge. This place. Right? How we relate to our food. That's why we're not talking about a diet. We're talking about stewardship. It's a lifestyle. And the scripture says this, and I want you to, to hear this verse with maybe just fresh ears today. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, right? Right here on our plates, it's an opportunity to, to do it for the glory of God. Right here in our choices of how we do our grocery shopping. Right here in the way in which we personally respond to food. What we're receiving from it. Is it nourishment we're receiving from it? Or is this a coping mechanism? Right? All of those questions. We want to do this. Whether I eat or drink, I want to do it to the glory of God. And that's what discipleship looks like. That's why this is a very spiritual topic. And as I close... I want to talk to the people in the room for whom this has been especially painful today. And you know what? You could have any kind of body shape. This has no idea. This, this could be anyone, all of us in this room. This could be, I know statistically it's hundreds of us, that we have had a really tough relationship with food. The, the, the story that John told, that that's been your story, that there's been abuse heap, there's been wounding attached to it, there's a deep brokenness now, food becomes a medication. For others of, of you, it's just the opposite, that you have this antagonistic relationship with food, or maybe you consume, but then you, you, your body rejects it, and there's an eating disorder that's there. Or as a part of control, you, you control yourself, you have control in your life by never having food, never consuming a calorie. There's all kinds of ways that this relationship with food gets broken and, and that there's wounding in it. And so for you, I just wanna tell you I love you and Jesus loves you completely. He's not waiting until you solve this thing before he loves you. He loves you right now. But he does want you free. And so for you, I, if you've had fear over this issue, maybe the moment you heard we're talking about food, there was this anxiety that began to arise in you. You feel like maybe I'm just talking to you. Maybe you feel like all eyes in the room are on you. No, no. No, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you right now and he wants you free. He wants to take that fear away. He wants to take that anxiety away. You know, Jesus says in his own words, this is in Matthew 6, he says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink? He wants that anxiety gone. He, he wants that fear removed. He wants to take that burden away. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And it's kind of important that we all do this.
close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm gonna pray for you right now. And I'm just gonna pray that, that Jesus comes right in the midst of this relationship that we have to food. That we ask him to come and to be the one who is, has authority over this area. And that we, because we give him the authority, we experience his freedom. And if you would like me to pray for you today, again, in any regard whatsoever, just go ahead and slip your hand up into the air. Just slip it up. Yeah. Yeah, and this issue of food, I see. Yeah, it touches so many of us. All right, so I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, you see those of us who are here who have our hands raised and we ask right now that you would come right down in the midst of this thing. And you know what the journey has been for us. You know where the woundings have been. You know where it is that we have believed lies. You know where it is where we have chosen uh, coping mechanisms, medication with food. You, you, you know where it is that we have rejected food. You, you know where it is that we see ourselves in the mirror, not as you see us, but it, with some distorted view. And, and so, Jesus, we just ask, whatever the journey has been, wherever the wounding has been, whatever the brokenness has been, Jesus, would you come and bring your healing? Jesus, come right in the midst of this and bring your grace. Would you just let us right now breathe deeply your love in this area? We are so thankful that you meet us where we need you the most. And it's in our deepest wound that you come with your gentle touch. And this is where we need you, Lord. I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters right now. I pray that they would understand that their lives are just covered with your grace. That, that you are absolutely in love with them, and, and you invite them into just beautiful freedom with you. We are so thankful that you hear a prayer. Lord, for all of us in the room right now, all of us, we recognize that the only hope we have is in you. And so we place our hope in you today. We know that, that we do not steward ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our, our hearts, our, even our resources. We don't steward ourselves so that we can earn your approval. But Jesus, you have already poured your love out. And so we do confess today that we want to be great stewards. We need your help and we need your wisdom for that. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen.